watching this. Today we're going to talk about James chapter 1, verse 27. Uh, when I asked Rick what they wanted me to teach on today, they gave me this verse, and I went and looked at it, and I wasn't real thrilled with it because it's a verse usually most people would just skip over. So I thought, well, let's pray into this and see what the Lord's got. And as it, uh, and, and as it is, um, I learned quite a bit by just browsing around and and uh, and praying over this verse. And I'm going to read the I'm going to read it from the uh, Complete Word Study Bible, which is very similar to King James. It says, uh, "Pure religion and undefiled before God the Father is this: to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, and to keep himself." unspotted from the world. Now, the uh, New American Standard, the 2020 version, reads this as this. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. We disappeared over here. Oh, okay, there we are. I'm sorry. I disappeared for a moment. I thought that was kind of interesting. I've never done that before. Um, this verse in the New American Standard says this, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God, His Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Now, when I went through this, I looked out and I, and I picked out seven words that I wanted to discuss. And as I started looking at these seven words, um, I noticed uh, some correlations between them. And I started looking up cross-references, and I wanted to share with you what I found. Uh, the first word is the word religion. Now, that has a bad connotation today, not so much so in the, Old Te or in the New Testament. But it has bad connotation today because when you think of religion, you think of all the things that's wrong with the church. And when he says pure religion, uh, what they really mean there, it's the word therika, theriskia, theriskia, however you pronounce it. It simply means the true and pure worship of God. And so we're talking about the... Uh, purity of your worship and your relationship with God. That's what that word means. Now, the next word we want to take a look at is undefiled. And that word is uh, amenantos. Amiantos. And it means that which is nothing in it that defiles, unpolluted, unstained, unsoiled, or undefiled by sin, and it also uh, it refers to to Hebrews seven twenty six, and I'll read that real quick. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, and undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heaven. So the quick re uh, reference there goes right back to Jesus, and we can see that the, that undefiled. Uh, is the purity that which Jesus operated in. So uh, immediately we've got 
two things here in the front of this. Our worship and our relationship with God should be undefiled in much the, in, in the exact same way that Jesus' was. Now, the next word is it seems like a simple word, visit. Before God and the Father is to visit the fatherless and the widows. Now, the word visit means to look at something, examine closely, inspect, and observe. So in other words, when we, if we're going to visit a situation, we're going to dig into it, we're going to look at it, we're going to understand it, we're going to approach it from the standpoint of finding out what we can about it. It's not just simply, uh, I'm a delivery boy and I deliver a pizza and I made a visit to someone. It's much more detailed than that. So don't, don't get the idea that we're talking about visiting uh, making a delivery, that type of thing. It's not that. It's much deeper than that. The next word is fatherless. Now, that's that's a, a pretty straightforward word. Uh, the orphan is often little, ex- little esteemed and neglected, and it's the word orphanos, which means orphan. It's where we get our word from. It says, because the orphan is often little esteemed and neglected, and thus forced, as it were, to wander in obscurity and darkness. They were orphaned, bereaved, spoken particularly of children, bereaved of parents. Talking about that word, the, the fatherless. Now, it's interesting. Um, how did it happen? Could be abandoned. Um, we had a friend of ours, uh, Tammy Hutchins, that... that probably close to 30 years ago, 25 to 30 years ago, uh, the Lord spoke to her in our church, a little small church here in Athens, Georgia, and said uh, that she needed to go to India and open an orphanage. And um, she had no training in that, if I'm not mistaken. She was from Kentucky. She'd been to school there. But she did. She up and moved, learned the language, and now 30 years later she's got this huge orphanage where she actually is doing what God said to do here in helping the fatherless. And, and Lord only knows from what I understand, there's a ton of them in, uh, in India. So the next one is the widows. The word widow uh, means chi- it's um, chiras. And it's a woman who's been bereaved of her husband. So very simple word there. A woman who has died, or a woman whose husband has died. Uh, if she died, she wouldn't have been a widow. So let's, let's want to make sure I got that straightened up. A woman who has lost her husband. Now, the last word is uh, well. The next word actually is affliction. Said that to visit the widows and fatherless in their affliction. That word is thalipsis. It means to crush, press, compress, squeeze, break, tribulation, trouble, and affliction. The first time that the, the, one of the more important reasons is in Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower. Jesus said that when the word is sown, Satan comes immediately to steal the word and he uses five things, one of them being affliction. Affliction persecution, the deceitfulness of riches, uh, thorns, uh, anxiety and worry, 
and lust, which is pressure on the five physical senses. Well, one of those weapons that he uses is affliction. And that's what we're talking about here, that the widow is under the thumb of the enemy. He's being attacked by that, and it's our job to relieve that burden from her. Now, the last word uh, is unspotted or without or, or um, undefiled, and it's the word asplios, and it means without blemish, spot, or unblemished, pure. Now, when I looked at this, those first six words fit into one category. That's telling you what you ought to do. The last word is telling you what you ought to be. Two di- there's two different aspects here. One's telling you what you, the, the first six words describe what you should be doing. And the last word, unspotted, tells you how you should do it. So I want to to dig in a little bit more uh, on these verses. We're going to look at them from a couple of different translations. James 1, from the Amplified, Classic Version. And when I say Amplified, I only mean the Amplified Classic. I'm not talking about the new version of the Amplified. I, I, I don't like it at all. And most people, they're talking about what's called the Amplified Classic, the 1987 version. So that's what we're talking about when I talk about Amplified. But listen to this. External religious worship, religion as it is expressed in outward acts that is pure and unblemished in the sight of God the Father, is this. To visit, help, and care for orphans and widows in their affliction and need. And the second part is to keep oneself unspotted and uncontaminated from the world. The implication is you can't do one without the other. We can't do the first part like it's supposed to be done without being the second part, the unspotted and uncontaminated in the world. Now, Romans 2.13, and I start looking at cross-references here, and we're going to dig into those a little bit to to try to shed some light on this. Romans 2.13, For it is not hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. So one of the first things that Paul teaches, teaches us, pardon me, is that we don't just hear what the God says in the Word, we actually go do it. Therefore, the first part of, of this verse is the things that we're supposed to do. Remember, the second part, the unspotted part, is the way we're supposed to go do it. Okay, now, so we know it's not here, so we've got to go do something. So then we kick over to Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. Now, no one is justified by the law before God, for it's evident the righteous man shall live by faith. Well, doing things like, you know, I delivered a pizza to the widow Jones and and so forth like that. Well, that might be a good thing to do, but you're not going to be justified because you're doing that. You may be doing that just to fulfill the law, just to, to, you know, check off your list and say, I did that. I helped the widow Jones. I don't have to do anymore. And within that framework, he says that the just, the, the way that you accomplish the second part of this goal, this verse, 
keep oneself unspotted is that you shall live by faith. Put a, put a hold right there. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11, again from the Amplified. Hebrews 11, 1 and 6 are classic scriptures on faith. And this is, what, this is the way you're going to have to operate in order to accomplish these things the way that God wants them accomplished. Now listen to this. Hebrews 11, 1, 6. Now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for being the proof of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality. Faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. Verse 6. But without faith, it's impossible to please and to be satisfactory to God. For whoever would come near to God must necessarily believe that God exists and He's a rewarder of those who earnestly and diligently seek Him out. Now, within that framework, um, and I was thinking about this in the other night uh, after I found out that Rick wanted me to talk about this. I did some preliminary study on it. And uh, I'm getting ready to go to bed, and my wife and I normally have a time of uh, prayer, reading scriptures and stuff before we go to bed. She got a phone call, and and, uh, she was on the phone, and I asked her who she was talking to, and she told me the lady's name. And uh, they had lived across from us for years and years and years, and her husband died, and she had moved away to a... a, uh, different neighborhood, obviously. And um, just as I started to go to bed, Julia came in and mentioned this lady and said she's very lonely. And as soon as she said that, bang, the Lord gave me a vision of this scripture. And I have a responsibility to treat this woman in a way that that, that, um, uh, conforms to what this scripture says. We need to help her. We need to... to, uh, There's no reason for her to be lonely. We invite her for lunch. We're going to get involved more in her life. And I realized right away that the Lord wanted me to do that. And that that this is a, what we call a practical application of the Word of God. So... Uh, in the middle of all of this, the Lord began speaking to me and showing me how I would do it. Now, we have, of our friends at church now, we have five widows that we know of. Now, and and they've, they've been friends of ours for a long time. I guess that means I'm getting older, and I don't like to admit that, so we'll, we'll, we'll let that go for the time being. But the point is, there's five widows, and... We are involved with three of them, need to be involved to make sure that the others are being met, being ministered to. One, several, of them, uh, several of them are doing okay. Two of them are recent widows. And the point to be made is we need to think of them in light of this Scripture. What can we do to make their life better? Because that's what God says we need to be doing now. Moving on, how does Jesus think about this? Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 25. Uh, We'll go to verse 35. Now, listen to what he says here. 
For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the king will answer the people that ask him when these things happen. And he'll say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. And then I put a note out beside that. Please note that Jesus takes this personal. If you go to Acts chapter 9 and read about Saul of Tarsus, he's walking down the road and bang, he's knocked on his keister. And the Lord said, and he goes, who are you? And the Lord says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So he took the persecution of the people that Paul was after, Saul was after. Jesus took that very personally. Same thing with widows and orphans. He takes that personally when we don't do what we're supposed to do with them. Now, we go on a little later on in that chapter. He says just the opposite. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed ones into the eternal fire which was prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. And in prison, and you didn't visit me. And they'll go, well, when did we not do that? And he said, truly I say to you, the extent you didn't do it to one of the least of these, you didn't do it to me. So, Jesus' attitude about this puts this in a new perspective. Um, what normally was a scripture that we'd just skip over or just give a casual look at, when we dig into it, we're finding out it's a pretty important scripture to the Lord. Now, if I go back and look in the Old Testament, and see how see if there was a foundation established for this type of thing. Deuteronomy 14, verses 28 and 29 say this, At the end of every third year you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in that year and deposit it in your town. The Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance among you, and the alien, the orphan, and the widow who are in your town shall come eat and be satisfied in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all of the work of your hands, which you do. Now, I want to say that again. This is not, uh, as, as my pastor um, so eloquently speaks on, this is not the, quote, prosperity gospel where you put a, you know, you put a quarter in and pull the handle and you get money out. That's God's not that way, and I don't know anybody that thinks God's that way, and yet there are people that do think of God that way. But that's not what he's talking about here. We're going to see another verse in there. He says, bring it in so that they can be blessed, and in your blessing them, I'm going to bless you in all that you do. Now, that's what he said. I didn't write it. That's what he said. But let's go on and look at Deuteronomy 8.18. This is one of my favorite scriptures in the Old Testament. 
but you shall earnestly, and, and uh, this is from the Amplified, but you shall earnestly remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant, which He swore to your fathers as it is to this day. Now, the Lord is the one that provides you with the resources to enable you to do what it is that you need to do, whether it be for that 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 um, uh, orphan, the widow, or the alien, and, and we'd throw the alien in, although that is not mentioned per se in this scripture. We know that the Lord speaks of us maintaining the element of of dealing with alien. So that He may establish His covenant. That's what the that's what we're given resources for, to be able to use it. Now, giving these resources, I go back to one of the things that you want to be careful of. You know, you know, somebody passes the plate and you say, "No, I thanks. I gave at the office." Uh, if we go back and look at the one of the original words that was in there, we go back to the word visit. And it says to look at something, examine closely, expect and observe, and to get involved deeply into. That doesn't mean I just give somebody some money and have them go buy some food for someone. Now, that's a good thing to do, but that's not necessarily visiting and getting deeply involved with someone. That could just be you passing some money to get it off your back, to, to, to do a checklist. We don't want to do that. And I don't want you to think that that's what this is about. Now, we go on. Job chapter 31. Now listen to this. Job 31, verses 16, 17, and 21 say this. This is Job. If I've kept the poor from their desire, or have caused the eyes of the widow to fail, or have eaten my morsel alone and the orphan has not shared in it, and if I've lifted up my hand against the orphan, because I saw I had support at the gate, the gate being the leadership of the of the city. So Job acknowledges that these things are things that he needs to be doing. And remember, if you go back to the beginning of Job, he's the most righteous guy around at that time. And so Job understood this, that the that taking care of these uh, of these two class of people was a priority with him and God. Look at Psalm 146, verse 9. The Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow, but he thwarts the way of the wicked. You want to get on God's side, you, you, we need to do this. Now, how do we do it? Well, that goes back to the unspotted way. How do we do it? We exercise this command under the authority of the of the witness that we've been given. Let's go on. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17 and 23. Learn to do good. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Your rulers are rebels and companions of thieves. We know that. Everyone loves a bribe and chases after rewards. They do not defend the orphan nor 
does the widow's plea come before them? Now, this is a this is a pretty damning uh, set of scriptures that Isaiah writes. Um, Defend the orphan and plead for the widow because the government, the, the, the rulers and authorities are not doing that. Now, go down to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Now listen to this. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, which you formerly walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. To not do what is required in James 1.27 puts you in this category. I don't want to be I don't want to be known as a friend of the sons of uh, disobedience. Um, I've struggled over the years, being a bit um, recalcitrant to do some things I've been asked to do, but I don't want to be noted in this. And it, and he's very clear that if you don't do what he says to do that you could be considered in here. Titus chapter 2, verse 12. Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desire and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. This is conforms to the, to the second part of that, unspotted, uh, without blemish, spot, or without wrinkle. Now, James 4.4. 4. You adulteress, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You, what he's talking about here, and it happens later on in, in the book of James, so we, we will get to that in detail later. But what he's talking about is making yourself a friend of the world. The way we do that is by rejecting what it is that God's asked us to do. Now, I, I sense in my own case, rejecting what God's asked us to do was not a choice that I made. It was something I did not thinking about what I was doing. Uh, when I would read this, uh, and, and I... I have to repent of this. I mean, and, and, and it's, a, it's because of digging into this Scripture that I do that. I have to repent of this because that's been my response so many times in the past is to throw a few bucks in the plate or, you know, to give to this or that or other and thinking that I've, made, I've fulfilled my role. Now, I'm getting old enough and I don't have kids. Um, uh, I read the other day the description, I'm not childless, I'm child-free. I, I never wanted to have kids, and so I don't have them. Now, as I'm getting older, it's just my wife and I. There's no family around here. And, and one of us will go before the other one. And when that happens, there's going to be a widow, or there's going to be a widower, and I'll be by myself. And, and one of the things that the Lord's showing me here is how you how you execute his commands in such a way that you will be blessed. That's what he said earlier. You will be blessed in all you do when you need it. I don't want to stand before God and say, I didn't get this because I didn't do that for this person over here. I, I don't want to do that. Now, let's go on. We'll finish this up. 1 Peter 1.4 To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away and reserved in heaven for you. That's what he said earlier in Deuteronomy. 
says he's doing this so that we can that we can he can bless us in all that we do. First uh, Peter two twenty. For what credit is there if when you sin you're harshly treated and you endure it, but if you do what is right and suffer? So in other words, he's telling you that you need to 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 approach this with your mind set on doing what God asks you to do, not just chicken off a box. Okay. Um, I'll finish with this last, uh, well, two more verses. First John 2.15 Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and boastful pride of life, is not from God the Father, but is from the world, and the world is passing away in its lust. So, he's telling you, that to not do these things put yourself in a situation where you are a friend of the world. And I don't want to be that way. Don't want to be that way. And so with God's grace, mercy, and prayers, uh, and, and executing what the Word says, I can accomplish that. Now, the last verse very well could have been the first verse, but we're going to finish with that. It's Deuteronomy 10.18. Says this, he executes justice for the orphan and the widow, and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. How does that happen? How does he execute justice for the orphan, the widow, and give them food and clothing? It's done through us, the church. He's the head, we're the hands. He can't do it without us. He won't do it without us, and we can't do it without him. So it's a team effort. Jesus, the head of the church, we're the body of the church. So, that's my thoughts. And I appreciate your time and effort. Let's close with prayer. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that You have shown us in Your Word what our responsibilities are towards those who are, have had affliction. They, they, they don't have any parent. They're guider, guideless, leaderless. Uh, and they're lonely, help us to step into the gap and fill that gap with your love, uh, doing what you ask us to do the way you ask us to do it. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Look forward to seeing you the next time.